Well, good morning again, everyone. Well, I'm thinking about on this Transfiguration Sunday, I'm thinking about mountain climbing. And uh, I was thinking, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I had a a slight opportunity uh, to go rock climbing. They laughed at me at the first service too, didn't they? Uh, (laughs) But uh, yes, I know, right? I, I, I admit I don't do it all the time. Is that fair? But, you know, one day, about two years ago, I was with some of the people with whom I was in the ordination process before I was ordained. We, we went hiking in the Red River Gorge, and one guy was with us. He's one of those, you know, really like outdoorsman, you know, fit guys, and he sees this little rock that, and he says, let's climb up it. And I'm the only one who agreed to climb up it with him. And I went up little by little. Swing around here, put your weight there. He's a good guy, and I made it to the top. Now, I had to get down, which was a whole nother matter. <laughs> but have you, ever, have you ever climbed up a mountain, or even driven up a mountain, you get to the very top, and you just look out around you, and it's just glorious. You ever notice that? You know, in the Bible, Believe it or not, in the Bible, a lot of the most interesting and I think important stories happen on the tops of mountains. Did you know that? Have you heard of some like Mount Sinai where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments? Or Jesus' most famous teaching, which was probably the Sermon on the Mount. Very good. So things happen on mountains. They are places that in the Bible where God meets humans. Now we know that that's not the only place God meets people. God can meet us anywhere. But in the Bible there are special times where God meets people on mountains. And so I thought I'd turn with, invite you to turn with me to the ninth chapter of Luke to probably the most unusual story of an experience on a mountain in the Bible. Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin at the 28th verse. Will you hear this, the word of the Lord? Now about eight days after these saying, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up into the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud a voice came that said, This is my son, the chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. At this point in uh, the Gospel of Luke, we are right at kind of the midpoint of the entire story. 
It's at this point that the gospel narrative hinges and turns. And I don't know about you, but if you're at the point, a critical midpoint, a critical intersection point, you may think that what is being said is really important. And so I think though that we struggle with some of the kind of unusual things that happen, things that we can only try to picture in our mind, and, and I expect that many of you who are listening, you, you kind of tried to picture this in your mind, right? What really happened there? What we find is that Jesus takes three of his friends and they go up on a mountain. It doesn't say which one. And there, they, they, it must be late, they're very tired, and all of a sudden, Jesus turns bright white. Uh, in, in another gospel, the writer says his clothes were whiter than any launderer could bleach them. In Luke, it says that his clothes, in the Greek, originally means were literally as white as lightning. And they see, Luke tells us, the glory of God. They see Moses and Elijah, the two great heroes of the faith, representing law and prophets, there with Jesus. Surely this is the moment of glory. And isn't that kind of what we imagine Jesus and God's glory is like? High up, bright, shining, do not approach, do not touch. But as I was reading this story, there was something about it that I just couldn't seem to shake off. Here they said, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus were discussing Jesus' departure. The Greek word exodos, it's where we get the term exodus, leaving. And in much of the classical literature, they say that that when they talk about departure, it's a euphemism a nice way of saying his death. Now, I don't know about you, but when we think of glory, we tend to think of elevated high and lifted up, but here when Jesus is talking about glory, he talks about the cross. Isn't that kind of strange? We tend to think of glory as elevation, as lifted up, as being shown to be powerful. But for Jesus, being exalted, being made glorious, looks like betrayal, torture, and death. Christianity is a little kind of weird, isn't it? You know, Christianity, see, see, most of us, what we really want is we just want just a little bit of help. We don't need a whole lot of change. We just need a little bit of help. We're basically good, and we need just a step up. Now, I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this. Don't tell Pastor Scott I told you this, but if what you're looking for in life is just a little bit of help, might I suggest some religions other than Christianity? I mean, really. Might I suggest, I can give you a list to just give you just a little bit of help. You see, Christianity doesn't say, well, come to me and I'll help you take the next step. Christianity says, Christianity looks at this world and sees it as it really is. Christianity sees a world that is struggling, that is broken, that is weary. 
Christianity looks at a world and sees the people whose doctors tell them it's cancer. Christianity looks at a world where people lose their loved ones and people say you need to be getting better but yet somehow in your heart you can't. Christianity might just be for people like you. Christianity might be for people who in their heart of hearts and in their biggest dreams they say surely there can be more than this world. Christianity just might be for you. Because, you see, when Jesus comes into the world, he doesn't come and is the world's best friend. That's tough for us because most of us, we've done pretty well in this life. But when Jesus comes, he's always uh, tracked, he's always discounted, he's always argued with, he's always uh, marginalized, and eventually he's betrayed and executed by a combination of religious and political leaders. And what Jesus does in that moment is he says when he comes up against the world, the world can't wait to kill him. And so Jesus, when he comes to the world, comes and says this world and the powers that control this world, this world is passing away. I think Jesus, when he goes to the cross, goes to the cross Because this world is not the end. There is more. Jesus goes to the cross because this world is passing away. And he goes to demonstrate and to show that this world ultimately brings death. Now that's a little tough, I know, for those of us who are doing well in this world. That's a tough thing for us to hear and for us to say because we just want to keep going up and up and up in this life. After all, our world is of one of upward mobility, right? We want the next job to pay more and to have more responsibility and more prestige. We want our kids to do better than we did. We want our grandkids to do even better. And we think, well, if we can do that, we've got it made. And Jesus says, no, that's just a smokescreen for what really matters. You see, the way of Jesus is not the way of upward mobility. It's not the way of success and recognition. Jesus' way is the way of service, the way of the cross. Jesus' way is to stand against the division and the hatred and the struggles of this world and to stand for that there is something more, that there is God's world beyond it. You know, the earliest followers of Jesus knew that. They knew that to follow Jesus meant to crucify this world and to crucify our desires, to crucify our agendas, and to have his agenda. And that's the lesson of life. Because eventually there's going to come a point at which you realize this world just isn't going to work. And in that moment, you and I are going to cry out that there might be something more, there might be some other hope. And here's what Paul discovered, the apostle He said, for through the law I died to the law. That's through the world and through the rules. I died to the law so that I might live to God. 
For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, at the beginning of the passage, you may have noticed a little thing. It said, now about eight days after these sayings, go back. when you hear that, you want to go back a little. You know what Jesus said? He said, if anyone will become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you're not just going to live in this life where you try to make one step better, try to get a little better, try to live by your own good works, your own abilities, but to give your life entirely to him, even though that might stand against the world, even though you might be criticized, even though you might be said that, that you're backwards, that you're primitive, that you, whatever people in the world may say about you, Jesus said, take up your cross, follow me. You know, it's so important. The cross is the symbol of our, of our faith. I remember Pastor Quentin some years ago said, when this room was designed, this is true, isn't it? It was specifically designed that the, that, the, that the look here is to go from the cross on the table to the cross on the pulpit to the cross above the organ to remind us that we are in a place where we say, I have been crucified with Christ I've given myself over, and it's not I but Christ who lives in me. Every time you come in here, I hope that will remind you of that important thing, not just that Jesus died on the cross, but that that means that that's the shape of our life, to die and to be raised to newness of life. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you do that, it's going to be just a little bit difficult you know, like most things that are worthwhile, it's going to be a little bit difficult. I think about Will Willimon. Some of you in here know who that is. He's a bishop in the United Methodist Church, but before then he spent almost 25 years as the chaplain at Duke University in North Carolina. Don't hold that too much against him, I suppose. But he's down there and he says that all the time what would happen is these students would come to Duke and they would come and you go to Duke, you're, you're on the upward track in life. Now, Quentin would agree with that, right? Now, <laughs> Quentin's a good Duke graduate too. And you know, they go to Duke and they want to go, go, go to medical school or they're going to go to law school or they're going to go get an MBA. They're going to go make a bunch of money. He says it always happened that invariably some of these students would somehow get acquainted with a guy named Jesus and it would change their life. And they didn't want to go to medical school anymore. They didn't want to go to law school or go work on Wall Street, but instead they wanted to go serve people. And he said invariably when that happened, he'd get a call from their parents who would be totally irate about it. Saying, you know, we raised them in church to be good enough people, but not to be crazy. But Jesus said, no, if you're going to come to me, you're going to bring it all. Jesus doesn't, say, I don't have a, Jesus doesn't have a plan that's, well, let me help you with your, with your desires. Jesus says, come to me, be willing to die, and somehow then you'll live. I don't know what that looks like in your life, but I'm going to tell you today, the story has come to him. What are your priorities are you about taking the next step up for yourself or are you about giving yourself entirely to him? 
I keep being reminded of this old story. I didn't share it at the first hour, but I'm going to share it with you now. Some of you have heard this. Some of you know this story, so just pretend I haven't, that you haven't heard it before. About 100 years ago, there was a young man who lived in, a little over 100 years ago, there was a young man who lived in Chicago named William Borden. Came from a very wealthy family. They were millionaires, and you can imagine being a millionaire in $1910, $1905. He had a ton of money. And for his high school graduation, and he, his mother was a devout born-again Christian in those days, which was very rare among very wealthy people in that city. But she was a born-again Christian and raised her son to be a follower of Jesus. And as wealthy people tended to do in those days, when he graduated from high school, they gave him a year off and to tour the world. They went to Europe, went to Africa, went to Asia, went to China. And as he went, little William Borden, his heart was broken for millions of people in the world who didn't know Jesus. And William Borden, when he came back, when he, when he was almost to come back, he sent a telegraph to his father saying that, that, that God had told him to go serve on the mission field in a Muslim region of China in a place that would cost him his life. And it was said, they've never found this, but the story goes that in this Bible, he wrote that date with the words, no reserves. And he went to college, he went to Yale in four years there, began a rescue mission, but his heart was still with the people in China. When he graduated from college, he had opportunities to go to Wall Street, but he turned them down. Joined the family business, he turned them down. And instead, he went to seminary and was ordained. And when he turned all those jobs down, he wrote in his Bible, uh, no retreat. And then he graduated from seminary and he sailed to Cairo to learn the Arabic so he could speak with the Muslims of northwest China. And it was there that he fell ill with meningitis. Three weeks later he died. He was 25. He could have had it all, but he died in a far-off land. And it was said the last thing he wrote in his Bible was, No regrets. And when they buried him, they buried him in a little American cemetery in Cairo. And I'm told if you go there, they've just redone his gravestone. And on the gravestone, these words are there. Apart from faith in Christ, a life like this makes no sense. Apart from faith in Christ, a life like this makes no sense. I think that's what it means for us to be crucified. It may not mean that you go and die in a far-off country. It may not mean that you become a missionary or a pastor or a church leader. What it may mean, though, is that wherever you are in whatever setting you sit, you're called to die to self and live to him with everything you have, with everything you are. Come to him. This morning, we're going to receive Holy Communion. And I want to beg you and I want to implore you today, if you do not feel, if you need to give yourself to Christ, to say, Lord, I need to rethink my life. I want you to come when you come to this table. I want you to come and receive the bread and and dip it into the cup. It's another strange thing we do as Christians. But more importantly than receiving the bread and the cup, I want you also to come and receive Christ this morning. To say, I'm willing to die to self and live to you. Maybe you want to kneel at this altar rail and commit or recommit your life to him. 
I'm going to tell you this morning, I don't want you to leave struggling in this world, but leave today knowing that whatever happens, you've entrusted yourself to the one who has overcome death, the grave, and lives again. And when you do that, when you come to where you have given all that you have and all that you can to him, just open your hands. See what he'll do. And then, from the crucified Christ, you will see glory. Let's pray.